Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, church. Man, it's good to be back. Revelation chapter 6, if you have a Bible, Revelation chapter 6 this morning. While you're turning there, I'll tell you that it was really hard for me to come back from Colorado. I, I, I almost stayed there. It was so awesome, man. It was such a beautiful, beautiful place. I love the mountains. I'm from Montana, so my wife had to drag me back home here. So, But I'm here. So did you guys have a great Christmas, a great New Year's? I hope you did. And uh, can you believe that it's the second week of 2022? Is that crazy? Man, it's, things are going fast. I, uh, they say that, um, you know, time flies when you're, you know, getting old. And uh, so I know that to be true because I'm getting old. But, uh, man, time is certainly flying. But we're having a good time doing it, right? Yeah, you guys awake? Okay. So, hey, also, just want to say, if you were here the last two weeks then you know you were super blessed by the messages that came forward, right? I mean, we had Alan Buckley come in on the 26th and to remind us of the greatest gift ever given, Jesus. Man, what a great message. Thank you, Alan, for that. And then uh, last week we had uh, Randy Lamaster come and bring the word, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, remind us of the glorious gifts that we've been given through Jesus Christ, the inheritance that we have. And, man, what a great message. Again, I so many just... Uh, Felt like it was around, you were around a campfire, didn't you? That's, a, that's an awesome, awesome time. Both of those really good messages, really good reminders of uh, the things that um, we, we, we already know. You know what the pastor's job is? He's to remind you of things you already know, completely new. Maybe a little tidbit here and there, but generally speaking, we all know the main line. We need Jesus Christ. So we're going to be reminded of the things that we already know. And I'll tell you what, when you stick to the Word of God and you just bring the Word of God, it changes people's lives. Even if you already know what's being spoken, it's so transformative, the Word of God. And we're, we're thankful to have the Word in our laps this morning. So stand with me and let's read our passage this morning. We find ourselves back in Revelation chapter 6, and it is a doozy. So here we go. Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of, our four, of the four creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, 
I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they went each uh, given to a white, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves, in the caves and rocks among the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come who can stand. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And what a, what a solemn word we have, Lord. As we consider these seals being opened up and the effects upon the earth. Father, we ask you, Lord, to help us to consider where we find ourselves during this time. Lord, if we don't know you, that you would draw us to yourself this morning. God, if we know you but we're not living fully for you, that you would draw us back to that place of full surrender. Lord, if we're, we have our hand to the plow and we're not looking back, would you encourage us this morning to not grow weary in doing good, Lord, for in due season we'll reap the reward. So will you meet every human heart in this place this morning? We thank you for your presence here, Lord. We ask you to come by your Holy Spirit and speak into our lives now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Revelation, so let's get our bearings. Starting off, we, we, you remember, by way of reminder, John was called up to heaven in the opening verse of chapter 4. I believe this is a picture of the rapture, and you can go back and listen to both of my messages on Revelation chapter 4 to understand why. John, being caught up into the presence of God, into the throne room of God, is drawn to the throne and the one who sits upon it. You remember that. And it was there that John described for us the things around and from and before and in the midst of the throne. The chapter ends with the living creatures giving honor and glory. And the 24 elders, remember, casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus, bowing face down before him, declaring, Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And as we came to chapter 5 then, John's attention was drawn away from not necessarily the throne of God, but to the right hand of God, remember, and to the scroll that was, that was laid upon his hand. Remember that scroll was written on the inside and the outside, and it was sealed with seven seals. And immediately as John looked upon the scroll there, he heard a voice who said, Who is worthy to open up 
open up the scroll and to break its seals. And remember, nobody was found worthy in all of heaven and on earth and under the earth. Not a single one. And John began to weep. And one of the 24 elders then came and consoled uh, John and put his hand upon his shoulder. And he said these words to him, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. What a glorious moment for John there. That he saw Jesus Christ being manifest, walking out of the midst of the throne as a lamb that had been slain, bearing the marks of the cross. Amazing picture, the victory John was reminded of that was won just some time ago when Jesus was on the earth. He goes on to you know, note for us the worship session that breaks out as a result of Jesus manifesting as the worthy one in that moment. And they all declared, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And it goes on to say that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every creature in the sea and in all that is in them declares to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures then declared amen. And the elders fell down in worship. And that's how we concluded chapter 5. Now, John's attention is drawn away from necessarily the throne of the Lord to the right hand of God to Jesus now who holds the scroll into his hand and Jesus begins to open those seals in heaven and we see the effects on the earth are catastrophic. For the time of the wrath of the Lamb has come. We find here the righteous indignation hidden within these seals as Jesus opens them up and pours out wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world for a period of seven years known to us by many names in the Bible. You can see a list up here. We'll just go through a few of them. It's known as the 70th week of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. The time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. It's known as the day of the Lord in Isaiah 2, verse 12. And the time of the end, Daniel 12, 12 9. It's called the great day of his wrath in Revelation 6.17. And the list goes on and on with the various names of the seven-year period. But perhaps the most common name known to us that is not necessarily implicitly implied in the Bible by, by definition is the tribulation period. It's the tribulation period. What is it? Again, it's a seven-year period period where God will rain down hellfire on earth like has never or ever will be seen again. It is not a place you want to be. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 24 verses 21 through 22. He said, for then there will be great tribulation such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being could be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. It's a seven-year period of destruction. 
as indicated by Isaiah 13, verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. And then Joel chapter 1, verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and the destruction. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. This seven-year period, folks, will be filled with the most catastrophic events, world events collectively put together in a short seven-year period of time. And what's interesting is the world knows where it's coming from, and yet they will bow their knee not. It's one of the saddest portions of Scripture, I think, that we find before us here today, where we find people who understand the circumstances, the nature of the circumstances and where they come from, but they will not bow their knee. They would rather die than accept Jesus Christ. I can only imagine how that breaks God's heart to think because what we're going to find through this passage, through, this, through these next you know, several chapters, chapters 9 through 19, that seven-year tribulation period is the grace of God at work. God's purpose in the tribulation is twofold. First and foremost, we know as Bible students that God is drawing the nation of Israel back to himself during this time. Listen, if you read uh, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, you look at what Jesus is saying. He's talking to Jewish people. All the framework is God dealing with the nation of Israel. How do we know this? Because in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, he says that. Listen, 70 weeks are decreed, listen, about the people of the world. No, your people, Daniel, and your holy city. That sounds Jewish to me. That's the Jewish people, and that's Jerusalem as the the holy city of the Jewish people. He goes on to say, here's the purpose of these 70 weeks. Listen up. To finish the transgression to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Do you know Daniel chapter uh, 9 here is Jewish in nature? But here's the thing. God can do a gazillion things in one event. Do you know that? He can be doing something in your life's very specific Very specific to you, and yet he's using that in a hundred different ways in other people's lives. That's how he works. He is so amazing. He will also, in this seven-year period of time, one of the other main purposes of this period of time is for God to bring judgment upon the wicked. We find that to be true in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11, where he says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and to lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Here's what you need to understand about that prophecy. Isaiah is, the the, the near fulfillment of that prophecy is God speaking to the Babylonians. God telling Nebuchadnezzar, you will become prideful and I will humble you. And he goes on and he does that throughout that whole situation as the children of Israel are carried into captivity. He saves them back out of the hand of the, the Babylonians, but they're, they're taken over. And, and he, now in this seven-year period of time, God is raining down judgment upon the wicked for the way that they have rejected Christ first and foremost, but also for the way that they responded to 
those who belong to Christ, those who have, you know, been martyred as a result of believing in Jesus Christ, even though they've done this, God will still give each and every person that is alive during this time an opportunity to come to Christ. He'll give them an opportunity. I liken this to the Garden of Eden where Jesus is faced with his betrayer, Judas, remember? And the first thing Jesus says, and I I liken this to an invitation, friend, why have you come? He knew exactly why he came. He just told them in the dinner before, one of you guys is going to betray me. He knows why he's there. But yet he gives him an opportunity. Judas, why are you here? Would you like to end this now, or would you like to go forward in your evil plan? And, of course, he was filled with Satan. The Bible tells us, and he ended up fulfilling his plan, ended up committing suicide as a result. God is giving mankind in these seven years an opportunity to come to Christ. He is giving them an opportunity you know, before they breathe their last breath, to be reconciled to God the Father. In this seven-year period of judgment, it is also a period filled with grace, folks. And you might not see it that way, but I promise you, the more you get to know God, and the more you read through the, the Word, you see that He is incredibly gracious, incredibly gracious. Why would He set seven years aside? Why would He do that? Because he's gracious, because he loves people, and he desires that no one would perish, but all would come to repentance. This is the God that we serve. So as we go through the tribulation period for the next, you know, probably couple months, in chapters 6 through 19, remember, this is God's grace upon us. We see the opportunity to come to Christ. And yet we see in our, we see the response in our passage this morning that it's not, the people don't want to come to Christ. Twofold purpose, to draw the people of Israel back to himself and to judge the wicked upon this earth. So one other thing you need to know is the church isn't here. The church is not here. I believe that with all my heart. What we find here in our passage this morning is what I believe to be the definition of the entirety of this seven-year period of time. It's found in chapter 6, verse 16, where the people that are experiencing these, these seals declare that it is the wrath of the Lamb revealed. The, la- the wrath of the Lamb revealed. This period of time, starting from day one, I make, make that very clear, is not the wrath of man, it's not the wrath of Satan, it is the wrath of the Lamb. It's made very clear in this passage. Therefore, the only period, why? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, you guys know the verse, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 10, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. The reason why Jesus came is to take the wrath for you. 
what sense would it make for God to put his church, who Jesus came to take the wrath for, into the tribulation period, which is the wrath of the Lamb? You see how that works? It doesn't. That doesn't make sense. But Paul goes on, and he, he says this again, the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, and he says this, that Jesus is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. What wrath is he talking about? The wrath of the Lamb beginning in Revelation chapter 6 in the seven sealed judgments which turn into the seven trumpet judgments which turn into the seven bowl judgments. Collectively, Revelation 6 through 19. The wrath of God, listen, is punishment for sin. If we consider... Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that says you've been justified by faith. And we understand what that word means, justified. It's just as if you had never sinned. Then what wrath is being poured out upon sin for you? It's already been dealt with, folks. Do you know when God sees you, he sees his son? He sees Jesus. You might not feel like Jesus. I promise you, you're not Jesus. But here's the reality. God sees you as Jesus. Jesus is perfect. The Father sees you as he sees his Son. Why? Because you're clothed in Christ. You're clothed in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ, right? This is the theology of salvation, folks. That God has paid the price through his Son, Jesus Christ. So you don't have to endure the wrath of your sin. The purpose of the tribulation, to punish man for their sin. It doesn't make sense, folks. You can't reconcile those things. The only uh, rapture position that truly makes biblical sense is the pre-trib rapture position. You can slice it and dice it however you want. It still says the same thing. God's people are not destined for wrath, period. Seven-year tribulation period, Revelation chapter 6 through 19, is the wrath of the Lamb. And I believe with all my heart the church will not be here. Listen, we can agree to disagree on that. No, no big deal. But when we are being raptured up and you hear me singing Randy Travis's song, you know, I told you so, oh, I told you so. Don't be mad at me. Do not be mad at me, man. What are you going to do? Listen, with that said, let's dive into Revelation 6, beginning in verse 1, where we look at the very first seal being opened here. Now, I watched with when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Jesus, now having the scroll in his hand, opens up one of these seven seals and what happens, you know, is this angel calls for summons somebody to go do something on earth. He says, come, which could be better translated, go forth, because he's not coming into heaven. He's being sent. He's being sent out of heaven to earth. He says, go forth. And John says, I looked, and behold, a, there was a white horse, and the rider had a bow and a crown. And notice, the crown was given to him. That's very important. The crown was given to him, and it says that he was, he came out conquering and to conquer. He was on 
a mission. He was on orders, folks. He's not doing whatever he wants to do. He's on orders here. It's really important you understand that. Who's the writer? Who's the writer of this white horse? Many people make the assumption that the rider of this horse is Jesus. It is not Jesus. How do we know? Because in Revelation chapter 9, 19, verses 11 through 16, that is Jesus, no question about it. And here's some distinct things that you need to understand between what we see Jesus when he does come and the rider of this horse here. First and foremost, Revelation chapter 19, we find Jesus with fiery eyes here. He's coming with vengeance. He is coming with judgment upon the earth. He is, listen, not wearing a crown that's been given to him. He's wearing a diadem, diadem crown, which declares sovereignty and rulership. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is wearing many diadems. That means he has the authority above all authorities, folks. The crown Jesus is wearing is not a crown he was given. It's a crown he's always had. And he's wearing many of them, first and foremost. The crown that the writer in Revelation 6 is wearing is known as a Stephanos crown. You know that we talked about this not too long ago. But a Stephanos crown is like a little wreath crown or something like that that they would give to the, the victors of the um, games back in the Roman days. So they would say, hey, you're a victor. It was not to depict authority or any kind of sovereignty whatsoever. It was simply to say... You won some of these games. Notice, the crown that he wears has been given to him. He didn't even win it. It was given to him because he was sent on a mission. Bow with no arrows. The writer in Revelation chapter 6 comes with a bow with no arrows. Now, how good is that? He got no arrows, man. He can't do anything. What's he supposed to do with this thing? He's simply coming... And in the response to God's voice to do God's work. And here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing about it. When Jesus comes, a sword will come out of his mouth as if to slay every person on the earth. It's a different rider. Completely different rider. The rider that we find in Revelation chapter 6 is a counterfeit Jesus. A counterfeit Jesus. He's the agent of Satan that will be used to deceive the hearts and the minds of of the Christ rejectors that will be on this earth during that time. Satan will use this man to woo the world to himself. He is none other than the Antichrist. You might recall that when uh, G the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24 in the very beginning, tell us when the end of the age will come. The very first thing that Jesus tells them is Matthew 24 verses 4 and 5. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. There have always been antichrists in the world, folks. Always. You know who the very first one was? Nimrod, the very first antichrist who was the mighty hunter before God, really. Ultimately, what's that saying is he hunted the men of God, the people of God. He hunted them down. That's what that means. He was the first antichrist. And there's always been the spirit of Antichrist in the world. John tells us that in 1 John 4. He says, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. You can see it. Jesus told his disciples, beware of the spirit of the Antichrist. There'll be many people that will come on Amen. But the one that comes here is unlike any other Antichrist that's ever come. 
worse than Hitler, worse, worse than Stalin, worse than any other ruler that has created genocide on the earth, you know, relating to the church or to the Jews. This, this, this one will be totally different than, than, than any of that. Listen, the world right now is so poised for an antichrist, it's not even funny. So poised. You see massive deception of people being deceived, totally being led astray in our culture. We see, the, the, we see here, in, we can read about this or hear about this in the message of the globalists here that are, you know, recently um, there was a conference, the COP26 conference, a global warming conference and, and all this kind of stuff, which is all globalist, folks, all globalist agenda. And in that conference, we have the, the globalist and advocate for the Great Reset agenda, Prince Charles of Wales, who stated to world leaders um, regarding the need to address climate control, listen very carefully what he said, that they need to deal with it with a war-like footing. A war-like footing. He goes on to say, the scale and scope of the threat we face call for a global systems-level solution based on radical transforming of our current fossil fuel-based economy to one that is genuinely renewable and sustainable. So, ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take uh, the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions of dollars. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply Terry-style campaign to marsh the strength of the global private sector with trillions, listen, at his disposal, far beyond the global GDP, and with the greatest respect beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers, and I think he meant he here, it, he offers, or it offers the only real prospect to achieving fundamental economic transition. Many people are bringing to light the phrase that he used in the sentence where he said, with trillions at his disposal. Who is the his? The his is somebody who has at his disposal trillions beyond the global GDP, folks. Do you know what GDP is? It's the measurement that they use to, to determine what the value of all products and services of a country is. Do you know what the global GDP is for 2022? Just north of $100 trillion. The person that Prince Charles is speaking about has resources far beyond the global GDP. Who do you think he's speaking about? He's speaking about Satan himself. He's speaking about the one who will rise up, who will be embodied in satanic power to do the work of Satan in the world, all at God's sort of request. This is speaking about the Antichrist, folks. This man is a globalist, and he understands the need for the world to come into this one-world government, into this one-world economy, and uh, the world is positioned for it. The world is positioned for it better than it ever has been. 
people have been saying, oh, yeah, they've been saying that for years. Listen, if you're a follower of technology, you know anything about the technology sector of the world, you know that there's no way they could have ever done anything like this in times past, ever. They could have never made it happen. But right now, because of electronic currency and all these sorts of things, cryptocurrency and all of the systems that have been built, they could flip a switch and it could happen in a second, folks. All it, all it takes is for 10 world leaders to come together and determine this is, how it, this is the, the currency of the world, this is how we're going to govern the world, and out of those 10 will come one, and he will be the Antichrist. The world is poised and ready for this to happen. It is ready. Listen, but this isn't a new message, folks. 65 years ago, Belgian prime minister and chief architect of the EU said this. We do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and he be God or the devil, we will receive him. If that's not creepy, I'm not, I don't know what is. Listen, it's in the Bible, but it's being played out in the world, folks. The world is ready with open arms to receive the Antichrist. Why hasn't he come? Because you're here. Because you're here. Paul told us the Antichrist cannot, emphasis cannot, surface until the restrainer is taken out of the way. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Who's the restrainer? I believe it's the Holy Spirit. Who's the church filled with? The Holy Spirit. In order for, I believe, the Antichrist to surface, the church has to be taken out of the way. Do you know that right now, currently, the, um, the, really the, the major uh, portion of people that are kind of coming against this, this um, narrative of all of the things that are going on in our world today from COVID to, you know, global warming to all of these other things, the narrative that's standing up against this is generally Christian. Do you know that? We're standing in the way, folks. We're standing in the way of what the world wants. When the Lord takes the church out of the world, then guess what? The world will have exactly what it wants. All the Lord has to do is call us home, and it will start. Once we are removed, man, this world will receive the prince of darkness with open arms, and that's exactly what we're depicting here in this first seal. The, the Antichrist coming. The church is gone. Jesus is opening the seals now to judge the world. And he sends this one who has the crown given to him. He didn't earn it, but it was given to him as a means of bringing judgment upon the world to, conquer, uh, to, to go conquering and to conquer. Why? To deal with the nakedness and to punish the world for their sin. That's the purpose, folks. That's why God is doing this. This is not the wrath of man. It's not the wrath of Satan. This is the wrath of the Lamb being poured out upon the world. God is in control of all of these things. This brings us to our second seal, which we find in verse 3. Moving lighter right along here. Uh, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. 
And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. The second seal it was opened, and a second living creature cried out, come or, or go forth. And John sees this fiery red horse, and the rider who noticed the word was permitted. The rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. This is no doubt representative of war. Jesus told us in Matthew 24 that we will hear of wars and rumor of wars. War has always been part of human history from the beginning of time. The very first war were two brothers, remember? Cain and Abel. Cain slayed him, killed him. The very first <laughs> war in humanity, and that, then it's gone on and on and on from there, folks. War has always been a part of human history, but this war is different. This war is divine in nature. This is demonic and angelic hosts fighting each other. This is God trying to draw people to himself, but there being such a heavy satanic influence upon the world, world during this time that God says he, he allows the world to be, to give that, the, the enemy to give the world a great delusion. But war heart, he knows the heart of man. He knows where people are. But war will be a result. God, is, God will allow the worst of humanity to come out here um, as he allows peace to be taken from the earth. Do you know, even in the midst of war today, there's still peace here? There's still peace in the world. One day there will be no peace. And this will create the likes of war that you've never seen before in a very civil manner, I think. The sword that's being spoken of here is not a soldier's sword in terms of this gigantic, you know, Roman barbarian sword. This is a little dagger like an assassin would have and it's, it's meant to speak about close quarters, you know, uh, killing and, and, and these kinds of things. Perhaps what he's talking about is a civil war that we've never seen before. Globally, everywhere, in every house, in every neighborhood, in every office building, in every supermarket, in every gas station, in everywhere you go. Having to watch yourself. Because there's no peace on earth. That's what he's talking about here. This is probably speaking of a revolt of any kind of authority whatsoever. Do you not see that happening? We don't even honor our policemen, our military people, who give themselves up for us to keep us safe. The rebellion against authority, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, that it was coming and it would be here in the end. And in this time, it will be so prevalent and existent, the rebellion of the heart of man. It'll be a sight to see, man. We look around and we see the world is so divided today. We see that there is riots taking place all over the world today. You look at what's going on in, in Australia as a result of mandates and all these sorts of things, this, these, uh, these mask mandates and these vaccination mandates and all this stuff, you see the world being divided and the world rising up to fight each other. 
The world is, but yet there's still peace, isn't there? I wrote a verse to John Lennon's song, Imagine. And it goes like this. Imagine a world with no peace. How horrific it will be. No one will love another, for self will reign to feast. You can finish it. Thank you. You're welcome. You can write the rest of that. With the Antichrist on the scene in the world at war, Jesus then opens a third seal. And look with me at verse 5. He says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales on his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. The rider of this black horse is famine. We know this because of what he's holding in his hand, scales, a pair of scales, speaking of rations, carefully weighing out uh, the portions of wheat and barley because it's so precious. John here hears a different voice here, though. It's not the four living creatures that are in the midst of the throne. He hears a different voice here. Many people believe that it's God himself who speaks the words, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. What's being made mention here is the costliness of wheat and barley. A denarius is a day's wages. Could you imagine going to work for eight hours and the church, man, they're grilling you, aren't you? 20, 18 hours a week. Huh? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But this guy's awesome, man. But, but seriously, all day for a loaf of bread, all day to feed you. That's just to feed you. That's enough. Uh, one, quart of bar, uh, one quart of wheat is enough to feed you. If you want to, you know, get a little less nutritious, a little less, you know, and you can get a little bit more barley, which make about enough to feed three people for one day's wages. Do you see what he's saying? It's hand-to-mouth here, folks. Some days you eat, some days you don't. That's what he's talking about. But here's the thing is there's two groups of people that exist during this time. The have and the have-nots. The people with money and the people not without money. The people with money, the Bill Gateses, why do you think they're buying up land and property all over the world? They'll have, they'll have plenty. Mike was just telling me in between services that uh, China is storing up grain like crazy right now. Listen, the Rothschilds, the, the you know, the, the, the Clintons... Uh, the Rockefellers, these sorts of people, no worries for them. You and me, hand to mouth. Hand to mouth. The commoners, listen, this will be global starvation. Global starvation. And the idea of, of him saying, do not harm the oil and the wine, there still will be a level of, uh, uh, you know, comfort that people with the right amount of money can have. But for most people, it's going to be hand to mouth. I don't know if you've ever seen some of these movies out, you know, like um, the Hunger Games and things like that, where you have the elite people who live in a certain way, and then everybody else lives in a certain way. You don't think those are just 
ideas that came out of nowhere, do you? You, you, you realize that Hollywood is portraying some level of realism there, right? That's real in some way. And I think that will be very real in this time frame. You know, just to get, give you an idea, kind of an, give you a sort of a visual of what that would look like. And here's a little word of advice for you. If you, if you plan on going through the tribulation period, then here's a little word of advice for you. Find a Christian prepper because they won't be here, but their stuff will be. So, so here's what you want to do, because we don't want to sin, you know, we don't want to steal people's stuff, you need to get to know them now, right, so that you can ask for permission, hey, when you're gone, is it okay if I take your stuff, you know, <laughs> hey, they're out there, I'm telling you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you better do that, because this ain't going to be fun, I promise you that, this brings us to the fourth seal, Verse 7 here, where when he opened up the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. When they were given over authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. Uh, John now sees the fourth seal opened up and notices four living creatures summon a that the fourth living creature summoned a pale horse. This pale horse is, the color of it is probably more green or, or, or uh, you know, yellowish green. It's supposed to indicate decay and rot. Decay and rot. And it makes sense considering the, the writer's names, right? Death and Hades followed him. There are two horsemen here. Not just one, there's two. Hades followed him. Uh, death and Hades. Hades is the grave. It's known as Sheol in the Hebrew. It's, it means the place of death or the departed, where departed souls and spirits go. Hades and Sheol are not to be confused with Gehenna, which is hell. Those are two different places. You know the, the parable of uh, uh, Lazarus and the, and the rich man. Jesus said there are two compartments in Hades or Sheol. One of them is paradise. The other one is just a place of torment until the um, great white throne judgment. And that great white throne judgment, all of those people who are contained in Hades or Sheol, currently the place of the dead, who aren't Christians because Christians are in heaven with God, you know, um, they, they will be judged and then they will be thrown into Gehenna, which is the lake of fire. That is hell. The Bible makes it super clear that these are two different places. You know, Sheol in the Hebrew, Hades in the Greek, it's the same place. Gehenna, the lake of fire that's spoken of at the great right throne judgment in Revelation, I think, 20 or 21. This, these writers, listen, were given authority over a fourth of the earth. Who gave them the authority? The Lamb. Why? Because this is his wrath. He gave them the authority to, to kill, basically, a fourth of the earth. A quarter of the world's population wiped out in one seal. That's just, a, that's just this seal. It's not talking about all the people that, have, that died in the famine or the other things that are in the war that had already happened. This is just this seal. A quarter of the earth's population, just to give you an idea, 
the, the, the world population currently is just south of 8 billion people, okay? We're not going to put rapture numbers in there because we don't know how many people are really saved. According to Americans, that would be 80% of America, right? We know that's not true. So here's the thing. Two billion people, not including the rapture, but two billion people wiped out. Just to put it into perspective, that's like the t- entire continent of Europe and Africa put together, gone, in one seal, short period of time, a quarter of the Earth's population gone. How do we know that we're not in this or it hasn't already happened? This is historical because it's, there's never been a quarter of the Earth's population ever gone from the Earth at one time, ever, ever. Do you know that uh, this is double the amount of the history's most deadly events combined? Double. We don't include COVID because we don't know the numbers, right? Of course, of course not. This will be a genocide the like has never seen in the world before, in this fourth seal alone. He goes on, and we still, <laughs> there's still more, guys. This is, this is, we got the, full, the fifth and sixth seals here still. Those are those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they um, were each given a white robe to, and told to rest a little longer until the number of the fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Listen, John notices here as Jesus opens the fifth seal, souls that are underneath the altar of the Lord there, these are, and they're crying out for justice. And they're saying, how long, O Lord, before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The idea of the blood being poured out under the altar comes from uh, Leviticus chapter 4 where we see that in the, the tabernacle where they would pour the blood of the offering. They would put some on the posts of the altar, but then they would pour the rest of it at the basin of the altar. This is to represent the blood of the martyrs. Um, you know. And so who are these martyrs? Some believe that it's only the, the martyrs that have, that have um, been killed at the start of the tribulation period up until this point. So just those people in general. I firmly, I believe personally that uh, these are all the martyrs that has ever been martyred for God from day one. You, you're free to pick and choose what you want. What's important here is what they're saying. How long, O oh Lord, before you avenge us? God will avenge his people. Listen, nobody goes off free in this world. Nobody will go off free. Even the people that God used as executors of judgment upon the nation of Israel will answer for what they did. Do you know that? No one goes off scot-free except Christians. But Jesus, we didn't go off free, did we? Jesus paid the price. Here's what's interesting here is that God tells these martyrs, put your robe of righteousness on and rest a little longer. Now you're thinking like, but Lord, couldn't you just stop more people from dying? 
Couldn't you stop people from this point on from being killed? They're, they're crying out, Lord, to you. Why, why are you doing this, Lord? Because God understands the power of the testimony of the death of a saint. He understands it. It's been said from day one, the Fox's Book of Martyrs is proof of it. If you've never read it, you should, that the blood of the martyrs is a seed of the church. Polycarp, he's on a stake being ready to be burned. And he's, cry- he, he's standing for the Lord. And they can't kill the guy. So they, they're trying to burn him. He won't burn. So then they thrust a sword in him. His blood spills out and puts the fire out. I mean, the guy can't die. How many people do you think came to know Christ then? You know what I'm saying? Like, here's the thing. And, and I, I don't want this to sound wrong, but the death of a Christian is not the worst thing that could happen on this earth, folks. The death of an unbeliever is. The death of a Christian, God understands where you're going. And hopefully you understand where you're going. The death of somebody who doesn't know Christ is far different. They're destined for eternity. God finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We might, we might find pleasure in the death of the wicked in our culture today. We might go, oh, good, I'm glad that person got what they had coming to them. God finds no, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why? Because he understands their end. He knows where they're going. He knows where they'll reside for all of eternity, folks. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Precious. It's a scripture. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Why is that precious to God? Because God knows where you're going. He longs to be with you. He wants to be with you. But he might require of you to give your life up so that he can use it for somebody else's benefit. That sounds familiar. Did somebody else do that? Jesus did that, didn't he? Listen, whatever Jesus did, he may ask of you. He's our example. We're called to live sacrificially. Everything that we have, hold nothing back from him, but give him everything that we are. And if that means that you have to give your life up for him, it's worth it. It's worth it. You never know how God will use that. Let me tell you something. God used three deaths of people that I know. I learned hard. I don't know about you guys. Like, it took three of them for me. Maybe one for you, but it took three of my friends to die for me to understand that I'm going to die one day. And when I started realizing that, I was scared to death, guys. I started waking up with anxiety in the middle of the night thinking I was dying at 24 years old. And I came to Christ in the middle of my bedroom, not in a church, didn't go to church, never went to church really. But I knew Jesus died for me because somebody told me that over and over and over again. And I came to Christ because of three deaths of people that I knew right around me. Boom, boom, boom. Death is a real thing. But it's a powerful tool that God uses to bring people to Christ. How long, O Lord, 
will you wait to avenge us? Just wait a little longer. But there is a number. There is a number here. There's a specific number that God has said he'll only allow this many people to die. And when he does, it's over. That's it. Done. But he has a specific number. And he's doing this because he's gracious and because he loves people. And, you know, he wants people to understand. This brings us to our sixth and final seal here. Look at verse 6. Or look at verse 12 here. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black and as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, free, a slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now, you've heard these specific details in Matthew chapter 24. You've heard this before. You've heard about the, 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 the sky and the earthquakes and all these sorts of things. But just to put a little bit more biblical emphasis on this, it was also occurred in the blockbuster movie Ghostbusters Afterlife. If you've never seen that, it was in that movie too. You know, I ain't afraid of no ghost. I don't know about you. But listen, this is going to be terrifying in this moment. This is going to be terrifying. And I joke around, but, but I, I can't even comprehend what this is saying. Like, I can't even get my mind wrapped around what this looks like. No earthquake in the history of the world um, will compare to the quake that will happen here. It will shift the mountains and the islands off of their positions. Global shaking as if God is just, not from inside, but outside. Such a divine quake upon the earth. We see here the, the, the sun become black as sackcloth. Well, we have a kind of an image of what that looks like because we have eclipses currently. That's not what this is. This is some kind of a divine moment where God blocks the sun out. Do you know what happens when God removes the sun for a moment? We freeze. We freeze. Do you know if we just shift a little bit, one slight percent to the, right, to the towards the sun that we burn? I don't know what this means, but it doesn't sound fun. The, the full moon, like blood, we see that. We've seen that, like blood moons, right? Not like that. This is divine. God is just giving us an idea of what to expect. Hey, aren't, isn't that blood moon thing in the, in the Bible? Yeah, but it's not going to be like this. It's not going to be like this. Stars fall from the sky. We see that. We have meteorites and asteroids that make their way into our atmosphere, and, you know, they create miles and miles of craters in our world. You can go visit some of them. This sounds like there's going to be a lot of them coming. 
the stars fell from the sky. Not star. Stars. Do you know how big stars are? They're huge. Way bigger than the earth. Do you know recently there was an asteroid that everybody was worried about? You know, was going to hit California? Remember that? People were prepared for it. How do you prepare for that? I don't know. What do you do? Like, how far do you go underground? I don't, you can't prepare for that. Listen, this is divine in nature, folks. The sky vanishes like a scroll that's being rolled up. And yet, in the middle of all this, the people on the earth understand where it's coming from. And rather than running to God, they run away from him. And they run into caves and hide. That sounds familiar too. Like in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve knew what they did, they heard the Father's voice, and they said, uh-oh, and they ran from him. God is not doing this to get people to run away from him, but to run to him. That's the point. He's trying to draw every person to himself through this situation, and yet, listen to the words of these people. As they hide in the cliffs and the caves of the mountains, they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the lamb, the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? This is the hardness of heart, the level of hardness of heart that a man can get to that they can know where their circumstances are coming from and still be unwilling to give up their sin. I say that because that can happen to us. As Christians, that can happen, that we hold on to our sin and God gives us a little spiritual spanking. You ever had one of those? And yet we will not give up our sin. We'll hold on to it. I told you, I'm... I take, the, I take the hard road every time. Jesus says, here's the easy path, Tim. Where's the hard one at? That's the one I'm looking for. <laughs> if you're like me, that's the way you learn. But praise God, you learn. These people, they're not going to learn. They're not going to bow their knee to the Lord. Will people be saved during this time? Absolutely. And we'll see next week that God immediately saves 144,000 Jews. Why? Because the tribulation is Jewish in nature, but it's also for the purpose of punishing the sin of man. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. And Lord, we just pray. Right now, God, as we consider, maybe not for ourselves, maybe for other people that we know that we know aren't walking with you. And yet we're reassured in this passage of your grace so profoundly, Lord, that you will be reaching people through circumstances like never before, and it will be there. Their own hardness of heart to reject you even in these moments. But it won't be because you didn't give, 
each and every person an opportunity. And so, Lord, we pray for everybody in this place, everybody online, for all of our family members that we love so dearly who don't know you, Lord. And, and we ask, God, that you help us as believers in these last moments of these last days to be faithful with the gospel, to, to try and bring as many people as we can that you would allow us, Lord, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, Father, we put the lives of our unsaved family members and friends and such in your hands even now. And we ask you, Lord, to, to draw their hearts before these things happen. But we know you love them more than we do. And so we trust you this morning. Hey, as we continue to pray and as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to give you an opportunity this morning that if you don't know that you know that you know, that you're going to heaven, that you can make that decision sure this morning. The last verse of Revelation 6, 17 says, For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? And Paul tells us in, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, that therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The only people that will stand in the presence of God are those who belong to Jesus. And if that's not you this morning, then God wants to give you an opportunity to come to Christ this morning. Twice, but Jesus requires more than a prayer. He requires your entire life. He gave himself wholly over so that you could be reconciled to the Father. And he will require nothing less of you. He wants all of you. Every ounce of sin that you have, everything that you are, he wants total control of. And if you've never done that before, then may today be the day that you do that. If that's you this morning and you want to know that you know that you know, that Jesus Christ is your Lord first and your Savior. Just lift your hand up. I want to pray a prayer of surrender to Him this morning. If you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord, or you're not sure, just lift your hand. He's a prayer away. He loves you so greatly. He desires to be in right relationship with you. If you're online, you can do the same thing. You just cry out to the Lord. Anyone at all this morning, you want to know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. Father, I thank you for those in this room, Lord, who have that confidence and have that understanding. And yet, Lord, for some reason, I believe that there are some questioning. And so your word tells us to cry out to you. And so that's what we'll do, Lord. For those here that are not sure, will you give them the desire now to say these words? Lord Jesus, I come to you, and I surrender my heart to you. I give myself wholly over to you as you've done for me. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. Cleanse me and wash me. 
I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again from the dead for me because you love me. And how great is your love. I love you back by giving you my life. Father, for the rest of us in this room, will you fill us with your spirit and keep us on mission. And as we close in this long, last song, may we be reminded of the great love that you have for us, that we can in turn go out and love people unconditionally as you have to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.